beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the United States, the death penalty is still in effect in many states. Currently, there are about 2,500 prisoners on death row. Most prisoners that end up on death row have been convicted of some kind of capital crime. Usually, they've been found guilty of murdering someone. You might also be put on death on death row because you've been found guilty of espionage or treason. Being on death row means that after your appeals run out, you'll be put to death by the state because of your crimes. Now just imagine being such a prisoner. You're held in jail while your lawyer tries to find some loopholes to prevent you from being put to death. The legal process often takes a long time. It's step by step. Your appeals are denied. You live with the understanding that your time on earth is limited. The time is coming when you will be put to death for your crimes. You'll be electrocuted, or you'll die by lethal injection. Deep in your heart, you know that you deserve this. You've taken the life of another human being. You're guilty. You deserve to be punished. Over time, you come to realize there is no escape. This example helps us to see what's at stake in Lord's Day 5. This Lord's Day shows us that we deserve to come under God's judgment because of our sins. We have terribly offended our righteous and holy God with all our transgressions and sins. God is a just God. He requires that payment be made for our sins. We're like that prisoner on death row. We're guilty. There's nothing we can say or do to escape the punishment we deserve. God's wrath rests on us. His justice requires that payment for our sins must be made. Can we ourselves make that payment? Can anyone else pay the price for us? How can we escape the just judgment of our God? Is there any hope of ever going free again? Is there any way that we can again be received into God's favor? These are the questions we're dealing with in Lord's Day 5. It teaches us about the way of our salvation but the manner in which God saves us from all our sins. I preach to you God's Word under the following theme. Our deliverance depends on payment being made for our sins. We'll see how we cannot pay and how God provides a way. In the first section of the Catechism, we dealt with our sins and misery. Lord's Day 5 begins a new section in the Catechism dealing with our deliverance. 
The first question of Lord's Day 5 provides a link between the two. It asks, since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and again be received into God's favor? Please note that this question begins with an acknowledgement of guilt. We admit that we deserve punishment. God, as righteous judge, has the full right to punish us severely for our sins. He would be completely justified in cutting us off from Him, in having nothing more to do with us, in condemning us to hell. Beloved, we need to be convinced of this reality. So often we have the tendency to think that God's not really fair in His dealings with man. We tend to minimize our sins, to think we're not really such bad people. Our sinful nature is often unwilling to humble itself before God. It's hard for us to admit we deserve to come under His wrath. How often do we take David's words on our lips? Are you willing to go to God and say, Oh God, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. If we are not willing to acknowledge that we're sinful people, then it's easy to blame God for being unfair in punishing our sins. Our tendency is to adopt the bumper sticker mentality that says, Jesus saves, and then conveniently forget about what He saves us from. It's not until we're willing to humbly admit that by nature we're corrupt, that we sin against God every day, that we're able to consider the consequences of all our sins. The consequences of sin are not pretty. Before the fall into sin, God told our first parents that the day they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. This involved more than Adam and Eve's physical death. More importantly, it, it involved their spiritual death. Through their sin, they cut themselves off from God and from His grace. Because they heeded the words of Satan, they came under Satan's dominion. Mankind was no longer able to glorify God and to serve Him according to His Word. We became rebels against God under bondage to sin and Satan. There was no easy way out of the miserable situation we put ourselves in. Our communion with God was broken. We deserve to come under His punishment for breaking the covenant. The result is that in Lord's Day 5, our catechism sends out a heart-rending cry. How can we escape God's punishment? How can we again be received into His favor? Questions that are rooted in fear. They're cries of desperation. We know that we've all sinned, that we've fallen short of the glory of God. If we're willing to be honest about our current state, we have to admit that God is fully justified in punishing our wrongdoing. And so we ask, is there any way out? Is it possible for us to be delivered from our sins and misery? 
Is there any way to be restored to communion with God? Lord's Day 5 summarizes the Bible's teaching by giving this answer to our plea for deliverance. It says, God demands that His justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment, either by ourselves or through another. Our deliverance depends on payment being made for our sins. God's not just going to issue a free pass. He can't just overlook our sins pretending that they don't exist. There's a reason for this. Our God is a just God. His justice requires that sin committed against Him must be paid for. One of the things that really frustrates people and makes them, uh, and makes them angry is injustice. Most of us will get riled up if someone treats us or our kids unfairly. In America, we now have the Black Lives Matters movement, which has arisen because of police brutality against African Americans. In our society today, there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that we may not discriminate, discriminate against someone else because of his race or sex. Beloved, our sense of justice comes from God. God is a just God. God deals fairly with people. God doesn't break His word. He always keeps His promises. We might think it's unfair that God punishes man for his sins. But God is not unjust. God created man good and in His image. We were able to live in communion with God and keep all His commands. No one was pointing a gun at our heads, forcing us to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God was absolutely clear about the consequences of eating from this tree, that it would result in our death. We can't blame God for following through on what He said. It's hypocritical for us who want to be treated fairly to blame God when He punishes sins as He promised to do. So where does that leave us? In a pretty bad spot. We're guilty of sinning against God. God has said He will punish our sins with death. And God's just God who always does what He promised. So we're in trouble, we're in a hole, we're in the pit. To escape God's righteous judgment, payment must be made for our sins. Our problem is, is that we commit so many sins. They keep piling up, hour by hour, day by day. And unless someone covers our debt, we'll never be set free. Unless someone makes full payment, we'll never be restored to God's favor again. Our catechism asks, can we by ourselves make this payment? And the answer is certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Some people like to think that they're pretty good people. 
or that their good deeds can cancel out their bad ones. Such people have a distorted perspective on who we are. They don't reckon with the fact that even our best works in this life are all tainted with sin. Even, beloved, when we do something that pleases God, it's often done with the wrong motivations. We do things to feel good about ourselves or to be praised by others. People who think that our good deeds can cancel out our bad ones also forget about who God is. God is perfect. God is holy. God is just. God hates all sin. God requires that any and every sin committed against Him must be paid for. Such people forget that we owe God 100% obedience, that even if we only committed a few sins, they would still make us liable to come under God's judgment. Our catechism tries to find another way out of our fallen state. It asks, can any mere creature pay for us? Why can't an angel pay the price for our sins? Isn't it good enough for an animal to stand in our place as they did in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament? God commanded man to offer sacrifices for their sins in the Old Testament. The purpose of these sacrifices was to teach God's people about the costly nature of sin. That sin is offensive to God. So offensive, God will require our life if it's not paid for. Oh, the blood of bulls and goats and sheep, of any animal in the Old Covenant, it all pointed forward to the fact that we deserve to die for sinning against God. Ultimately, angels and animals cannot pay for a man's sins. The reason why is simple. God is a just God. He's fair in His dealings. Man sinned. Man needs to pay for that sin. God is not going to punish another creature for the sin that man committed. And there's a further problem. Even if God was willing to substitute an angel or an animal in man's place, None such creatures could bear the burden of God's wrath against our sins. And so we're back to square one. We're guilty of so many sins. Neither we nor other creatures can pay for them. We deserve to come under God's wrath. Our sins have put us in a deep hole. And David talks about it in Psalm 40. He speaks about being in a deep pit, in a miry bog. We shouldn't think that this was his actual situation. And David was not like Jeremiah, whose enemies lowered him with ropes into a cistern until he sank into the slimy mud at the bottom of it. The pit and the bog that David speaks about symbolize some desolate experience in his life. He was in desperate circumstances. He was stuck, unable to help himself. 
We see this in the first line of Psalm 40. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Why is David waiting? Why is he crying out to God for help? Well, what else could David do? What can anyone do when he or she is stuck in the bottom of a slimy pit, a miry bog? You're not going to climb out of the mud by yourself. You're not only stuck, you've also got no way of pulling yourself up. No way of climbing out of the deep hole you're in. David acknowledges there was no way that he could rescue himself. And that's why he cries out to God in prayer. What was David's problem? Some would like to suggest he was going through one of the many trials that he faced in his life. That he was trying to escape from the clutches of King Saul, who sought to put him to death. Or that he was in trouble because of the Philistines, or due to the revolt of his son Absalom. While these were indeed troubling times in David's life, they are not the focus of Psalm 40. David identifies his problem in verse 12. He says, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. It's David's sins and his guilt that have put him into the pit. He knows that he deserves to come under God's just judgment. He knows there's nothing he can do to save himself. And that's why David cries to the Lord for deliverance and why he patiently waits for the Lord to come to his rescue. Beloved, let's learn from David. We have put ourselves in a miserable place. By our sins, we have greatly offended our righteous and holy God. We deserve to come under His judgment. We cannot save ourselves from the hole that we've dug. We cannot climb out of the slimy pit by ourselves. Like David, we need to turn to God to deliver us. Like Him, we need to pray for God to show His mercy and His steadfast love and His faithfulness. Because by ourselves, we're never going to get out of the pit we're in. This brings us to our second point, having seen how we cannot pay. We'll focus on how God provides a way. The focus of Lord's Day 5 is on how our deliverance depends on payment being made for our sins. The question is, who can make this payment? To put it into the words of the Catechism, what kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? How are we ever going to get out of the slimy pit, out of the miry bog? When David considered that question in Psalm 40, he waited patiently for the Lord to come and provide deliverance for him. He acknowledged he could not get out of the pit by himself. He knew that the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant wouldn't save him either. David confessed, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. 
burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. When David writes, you have given me an open ear, the text literally speaks about digging. Some translations say, my ear you have pierced. Others, my ear you have opened. To have your ear opened means that you're willing to receive instruction. It means you're willing to listen when God speaks to you that you want to obey God's commands in your everyday life. That's a commonly accepted understanding of Psalm 40, verse 6. There's also another meaning which comes with the idea of piercing the ear. The practice of having one's ear pierced is something spoken about in the law of God, specifically in the first verses of Exodus 21. Here Moses relates the laws concerning Hebrew servants. When an Israelite faced bankruptcy, he could offer himself as a bondservant to his neighbor. He sold his labor for a period of no more than six years. For the law stipulated that in the Sabbath year he was to be set free. Yet if a servant loved his master and wanted to continue in his service, he could do so. The ceremony involved making vows before the judges. The servant would say, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. To make this official, the lobe of his ear was pierced with an awl, leaving a permanent scar, a mark of his perpetual servanthood. Now we need to understand that Psalm 40 is a messianic psalm. In it, David speaks prophetically about the son who would be born in his line, through whom the Lord would provide redemption for his people. This is confirmed by the fact that Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8 are quoted by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10. And there, the writer of Hebrews applies them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came into this world with purpose. He knew that we could not fulfill God's law. They were unable to keep the commandments. For us, they bring death rather than life. Thus Christ says, I have come to do your will, O God. Christ came to do the will of God to secure salvation for all who love Him. It is striking to see the parallels between the commitment offered by a Hebrew servant and Christ who fulfilled this Old Testament law. The Hebrew servant's commitment was based on his love for his master. It was voluntary. The servant had an opportunity for freedom and he chose to be a servant. And his commitment was permanent. Once he chose to be a servant, he was bound to serve his master for life. It was total. He was fully committed to doing the will of his master 
in all respects. And so, beloved, it was with our Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrificial service was motivated by His love for His Father. In John 14, 31, Jesus says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus' service was voluntary. In John 10, 15, Jesus expressed His willingness to give up His life for us. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. It was Christ's choice to offer Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. When Christ came to earth, He came with purpose. He came to redeem us from our sins and to set us free from the mastery of Satan. Christ knew that He would have to suffer, even to die, in order to accomplish this. On three separate occasions, Luke records how Jesus spoke to His disciples about how we must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and raised, and, and raised on the third day. Christ was permanently committed to doing the will of His Father in heaven. The final question of our Lord's Day is, what kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? In Psalm 40, David testified about how God would open the way of salvation for us through the coming Messiah. Now, there is much about the Messiah that David did not yet understand. But he knew that God would provide a way out from his misery in the pit. He testified about how God would provide a deliverer who would actually do his will, who would be obedient to his commands. David concludes Psalm 40 with these words, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Living in the New Covenant, we know much more about the Messiah whom God sent. How He was born in the line of of David, a real human being just like us, yet how he was also righteous and holy without sin. When Hebrews 10 applies Psalm 40 to Christ, it emphasizes that he came to do God's will. He writes, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so we see, beloved, that when the way of salvation was blocked, God opened it. When we were doomed to death and destruction, God revealed His grace. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2 that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then Paul also explains the way of salvation. He says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. In John 14, 6, Christ testified about himself, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The result, beloved, is that we are not like the many prisoners on death row. Although like them, we are guilty of much wrongdoing and deserve to come under God's judgment and condemnation, there is hope for us. For unlike those poor prisoners for whom there's no way out, God has provided a way out of our sins and misery. He has acted to provide us with a mediator and deliverer who could make payment for our sins. Praise God for His mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. For through Him, God has opened the way of salvation for all who believe in Jesus Christ. Amen.